rewatchers, Keith here. This week we have a very special episode. We interviewed Highlander director Clay Boris. Clay directed eight episodes of Highlander, spanning seasons one, two, and three, as well as being an incredible filmmaker and television director in his own right. In this episode, we talk to Clay about his work on Highlander, career as a filmmaker, and his life growing up on the rough streets of Cabbage Town. Highlander Rewatch is committed to bringing you, the fans, the very best Highlander content. And this week is no different. Highlander Rewatch has worked with Clay, and next week we will have a very special treat for everyone. Tune in to our Facebook page next week as Highlander Rewatched releases an an incredible, never-before-seen look behind the scenes of the Highlander set. That's right, Clay Barris and Highlander Rewatch will be releasing an intimate behind-the-scenes look at a day in the life on the Highlander set, and we can't wait to share it with you. Thanks again to everyone out there who has been listening to the podcast week after week. We have a lot more special treats in store for you in the coming weeks as well, so stay tuned for brand new Highlander podcasts and videos. Hey Rewatchers, this week's episode is brought to you by the Highlander 25th Gathering Convention in Los Angeles in celebration of the unique and enduring legacy of the Highlander television series. The convention will take place Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, October 20th through the 22nd at the LAX Crown Plaza on West Century Boulevard in Los Angeles. We here at Highlander Rewatched could not be more excited about this convention, which will feature guests such as the Highlander himself, Adrian Paul, Elizabeth Grayson, Jim Burns, Stan Kirsch, Peter Wingfield, David Abramowitz, Efron McAsh, Anthony Delongis, and James Horan, who you may remember from his turn as Grayson in Season 1's Band of Brothers. Not only will you be able to meet the immortal swashbuckling stars of our favorite television series, but there will be amazing interactive classes offered as well. Sharpen your skills with the blade in Adrian Paul's sword experience. Go toe-to-toe with Efron McAsh in his knife combat class. Experience supersonic speeds with Whipmaster to the Stars, Anthony Delongis, and find inner peace and tranquility in Elizabeth Grayson. Fan Kata class. This is a once in a lifetime opportunity for us mortals, so make sure to head over to HighlanderWorldwide.com for details, tickets, and hotel booking info. We can't wait to see everybody at the Highlander 25th Anniversary Convention Friday, October 20th through Sunday, October 22nd. Head on over to HighlanderWorldwide.com. Again, that's HighlanderWorldwide.com today to get your tickets. Hi, this is Adrian Paul, and you're listening to Highlander Rewatched. Hello, this is BT Edney. I played Heather in the original Highlander film, and you are watching Highlander Rewatched. This is Andy Armstrong. I was the second unit director, directing the action units in New York on the original Highlander, and you're listening to Highlander Rewatched. Hi, this is Anthony Delonges, also known as the Dolly Hopkins Sonic, from the Wendy episode of Highlander, and you are listening to Highlander Rewatched. Hi, I'm Elizabeth Grayson. I played Amanda on Highland of the Series and the spin-off called Highland of the Raven, and you are listening to Highlander Rewatch. Everybody involved with Highlander has stories, and they're great, great stories. This is John Mosby, the author of Fearful Symmetry, the essential guide to all things Highlander, and you're listening to Highlander Rewatched. This is Ken Gord, producer of the Highlander series, and you are listening to the podcast Highlander Rewatched. Hey, this is Stan Kirsch. I played Richie Ryan on Highlander, and you are listening to Highlander Rewatched. This is Clay Boris, director of Highlander, the TV series, and you're listening to Highlander Rewatched.
Clay. This is Keith. How are you? Hey, how are you doing? Very well. Uh, I just want to introduce you to the crew we got here. Well, I'm Keith. Uh, guys, do you want to introduce yourselves? Yeah, I'm Kyle. How are you? Nice to meet you. Yeah, you too. And uh, my name's Eamon. Uh, thank you, Clay, for joining us. No problem. We do have the uh, explicit tag on our podcast, so, you know. You're allowed to curse. <laughs> yeah. is what that means. <laughs> yeah, no, after when you first contacted me, uh, I looked it up and I started listening. So I listened to most of the interviews. Oh, cool, cool. Yeah, I, I didn't know that it existed before that. Yeah. The directors have never told anything. <laughs> <laughs> is that, you know is, what I mean? It's like uh, if I had to find out this stuff myself. Yeah, I mean, is that indicative of your experience on Highlander? No, it's just that, you know, you're, you're a hired hand. Like I remember when somebody said to me on set one day, he said to, so who was directing the live show? He says, I don't know. He, he said, besides the hair, you guys all look the same. <laughs> oh, boy. <Wow. laughs> Yowch. <laughs> and I'm like, uh, yeah, right. Okay, buddy. <laughs> you know, after every other show, I think you remember me. I mean, you know, it's just a, you're a hired hand. You come in, you shoot. People that work there all the time, the DOP, you know, he's the god. He runs the show, really. You know, a director comes in, he just does his job, he leaves, but the crew stays on, the actors are all the same. You know, I'm just a visitor when I come on set. But you, you got to visit the Highlander set a number of times. You were one of their go-to reliable directors, if I understand. Yeah, yeah, I guess so. Yeah, I was doing every, every other show at one point, and then uh, they wanted me to come back the, the next year, and I couldn't because I was doing a movie in Vancouver with Richard Grieco or something. So Ken said, you can't come. And I said, no. I said, I can. He said, is there any way you can make, you know, get off the show you're doing and then shoot? And I said, no. I said, I got to keep prepping here, you know, the feature film. Can't fool around. Right. Is that uh, Ken Gord? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Ken Gord and I were friends, you know. We worked together before on uh, Sweating Bullets. And that's how we first met. And after Highlander, we did a uh, movie of the week together, too, called Killer Deal. Ooh. So, you know, Ken and I go back a long ways. Killer Art of the Deal. Yeah. <laughs> yeah it was called Killer Deal. It was a science fiction type thing. So yeah. Ken was the guy who brought you into the world of Highlander then? Yeah, when he got the show, he brought me up. And then uh, while they were prepping and everything else, Ken said, uh, hey, maybe you should do the second show, you know? And I said, no. I said, I'll do the first. And everybody asked to follow me. I don't want to follow the other guy. Right. <laughs> and Ken goes, ah, okay, you got a point there. And then the thing that was really weird about the show I never could understand is that I was never given a contract to do a certain amount. Every time I was doing a show, Ken would just come and say, okay, you're doing another one. It really? Was never like, no, it was never like, we're going to give you five for sure. It never happened like that. So I never knew if I was going to get another one or not. It, it was really weird. And I was like, Ken, I'll come. And I think, I don't know, maybe the producers, the other producers had a problem with me or something, or they weren't sure I could deliver. I'm not sure. You know, then I got into the six-day show thing, and then all of a sudden, you know, they need me. So I don't know. <laughs> it's just one of those weird things. So, so is that a nickname you had? You were Six-Day Clay? No, I, I heard about that when <laughs> uh, when I saw the DVD package that came out. <laughs> so that... and, and they interviewed Panzer. He says, oh, yeah, Six-Day Clay. <laughs> I'm like, oh, wow, that's that's what they called me, huh? Which is not a title I'm particularly happy about. I mean, you know, it's like, who the hell wants to do a show in six days when the other guys were getting seven or whatever? Big difference one day, you know? It really does. So were you like the pinch hitter? Did they, like, come to you when they knew they needed something in, like, a, a fast turnaround? Well, it's just that, like I said, I was doing every other show. So I was just given a script, and then I'd shoot it. Because I knew the show really well, and, and the way that I shoot, 
you know, I, I shoot from the hip, you know, because I know how to edit and everything. Like, I've done it all my life, all my movies and everything. So I don't need to sit there and do a shot list. And sometimes I don't do a shot list because, you know, the producer wants to see one. And I sit there and I put one together, but you don't use it, you know. Anyway, when I was doing the show, you know, I'm French-Canadian. So I knew they were going to France. And I said to Ken, this is man, I says, I got to go to France. You got to take me there. And he's like, well, I'll do my best. I'll do my best, you know. Like, I want to go shoot in France. It'd be amazing. So the day came, he said, I got good news and I got bad news. And I said, well, okay, you know, what's the bad news? He said, well, you, you can't go to Paris. And I'm like, oh, man. He said, the good news is you get to start to shoot the new episode without prepping. And I'm like, what? He goes, yeah, the director we had fell through, so you're going to start directing the next day after you finish this show. Wow. <laughs> without prepping, because Ken knew I could do it. Do you remember so what ep- episode uh, that was? I, I, yeah, Bless the Child. Ooh, that was actually and, uh, an episode we definitely wanted to talk to you about, so we can't wait to that, hear it. So what happened was, I read the script on the way to the set in the morning with my AD. The AD prepped the show. I showed up, he said, these are the locations. I said, okay, put the camera over here, let's go shoot. Let's go. Like, to me, I can just walk on any set and start shooting. It's not a mystery. If you're a director, you know what you're doing. You don't need, you know, big plans. I I don't think so, anyway. That's one of my things on Highlander was that thing of, you know, not being able to go to France. That really upset me. Besides that, I had a great time, though. Well, that is a bummer. You didn't get to go to Paris, as I say. Uh... I know, especially when you're French-Canadian. Right, yeah. <laughs> right. But, but... Did you ever get to visit? A, a non-Highlander-related visit? Oh, yeah. Well, my first feature, Alligator Shoes, was in the director's fortnight at Cannes. Oh, oh wow. And uh, it showed in Paris, too. So I spent two weeks in Paris. My movie was playing in the theater there. So I don't know. I went to France a few times, drove through it, you know, that kind of stuff. But uh, anyway, I just wanted to go just to be filming. It would have been exciting, that's all. In your experience, it sounds like... Shooting these quick episodes was like kind of old hat for you. Like you, you knew what you were doing. I feel like other directors might think shooting a six day episode would be a real challenge. Like, did you find this to be hard to do these these really quick shoots, or what was the hardest experience on Highlander? I mean, if you know what you're doing as a director, I mean, it's not hard. <laughs> the thing is, it's, it's the time thing, right? Like we were shooting eleven, twelve, sometimes thirteen pages a day. Wow. You know, so you, you're doing all these pages, and at the same time, you got fight scenes. Part of the fun of Highlander is I used to work out some of the fight scenes with Adrian, you know. I'd say, what if we did this? And, like, I remember doing one where he's hanging on to the hood of a car, and I said it would be great if you let go of the hood of the car, bounced off your feet, jumped in the air, did a flip, and landed on your feet. And he said, oh, yeah, Christ, that'd be great. So, <laughs> you know, I, I love doing action, you know. So that's what I like to do, so... um for me, it was fun doing all those fight scenes and sort things. And but the show is hard to do only because you got so many pages to do, and you have to get through it. And you know, you got to keep the camera moving, and you can't just put it on sticks and make it look. You know, I mean, it's called motion picture for a reason, <laughs> right. and the camera's got to be moving the way I like it anyway. But you know, I learned a, a lot of tricks. You know, from uh, from the old days. You know, like you have an actor, you know, and stand in front of the camera, and the other actors in the background talking. So that way you're getting the close-up from one actor in the front and the other actor reacting in the background. It tells you the whole story. Next, let's move on to the next scene. Right. <laughs> you know, it's those kind of tricks that I learned how to do that made me, you know, shoot pretty fast. And like I said, a lot of some directors don't really know what they're doing. You can usually tell pretty fast because they shoot everything. Like, if they cover it, they cover it, they just cover it to death to make sure they got enough for editing. Well, any director that knows what he's doing, he edits in his head as he's going. I need a shot here. I need a close-up here. I need this. I need that. Let's go. You just get what you need. You get the hell out. So where did you learn to be, uh, to be that kind of conversant with those kind of 
tools to make you so efficient on set. I mean, it sounds like a lot of directors, even experienced directors, don't have that kind of comfort level. Well, it's because if you understand editing, you can't go wrong. So I go on set, no prep. I just say, okay, put the camera over here, let's go shoot. I knew exactly what I wanted within within two seconds. You know, I walk in with the actors and you do a run through, and then sometimes they even would say, "Well, you know, I'd prefer if I was over here." And I'd say, "Okay." So, or if I set up a shot, especially with the guest stars of the week, they'd say, "Well, I'd prefer to be over there." I say, well, "You can go over there if you want, but you won't be lit." <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you know, I'd go ahead, stand over there. That's not the way I set up the shot because I was always thinking, like, how do I set up the shot so that we can move fast onto the next scene? You know, so you don't waste your time time like shooting everything in one direction and then moving all the lights around and shooting another thing in another direction so you sort of plan ahead that you're going to do as less changes as possible you know so your lighting is always like in the same direction and then we do a lot of french reverses you know what that is no what's a french reverse a french reverse is when you shoot a scene of an actor like stuff if he's around a wall it all looks the same so you get an actor who's standing there. We got a close-up, say, of our hero, and he's talking to some guy, right? So we lit our hero. He's all lit against the wall. What we do is we bring in, if the background is the same, we bring in the other actor and we put him in the same spot and we just shoot him and we have him let look the opposite way for his eye line and nobody will ever tell in a million years. And then you put the light source, you just move a flag or something over to the left side or the cheek to the right side. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Those are the things that... You learn the business, you know? Yeah, French reverse. Free uh, film lesson for our listeners. It's also much more PG than I was expecting. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So it sounds like you you always had a very clear idea of what you wanted to do when you were shooting this show. Was that ever at odds at what, let's say, like what a producer wanted or one of the actors? Like, were there ever disagreements on set about the way the shoot was going? Well, I don't think so because, you know, if Ken had a problem, he would tell me. He was really good about that. He would say, you know, Clay, maybe you need this. And I'd go, yeah, okay. Because Ken was also a good editor. He, he understands film. And I, I think sometimes, like, first of all, there, there's sort of a rule on any show, right? The, the director can't change dialogue, that kind of stuff, you know, like without permission. So if you say, uh, I want to change this line, I think you should say this. And then uh, sometimes I'd talk to Adrian, he'd go, yeah, I agree with you, and we just change it, you know? I think a couple of times somebody came up and said, well, they're, they're pretty little pissed off, the writer, you know, you changed a couple of lines. I said, well, Adrian okayed it, what do you mean? <laughs> that kind of stuff, you know? So you're always you're running into stuff like that, you know? It's all part of the game. The thing is, as a director, you know, you get a script, and it's so-so, and the good director will make the script a lot better, right? And I think every script I ever did on Highlander it always turned out better than what the way it was written, because that's what you're supposed to do. But they can only write so much. They're not there on location. When I'm on location, I see things that I can change and make it better, you know, more exciting. Like that and, flip uh, in Revenge of the Sword. That probably made that script a lot better. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Again, it was really tough. I mean, I, I'm naturally in there, you know. I'm the director saying, okay, cut, cut. That was pretty good. I don't know if you remember that. Shooting a oh, that's right. Yeah, you're the, yeah. the the director in Revenge of the Sword is you. Yeah. It's very That's meta. Right, yeah. Layers within layers. Yep. Yeah. Again, that was an example. Like, the scripts that I didn't like the most were the ones where there was no quickening. Like, without a quickening, I'm like, I don't know. The show is not the same to me. It's like, <laughs> you have a build-up to a quickening. You know, and then the thing is, the director always you have to come up with a quickening, right? I mean, they would say, okay, a quickening happens. You go, well, what the fuck happens? What do you mean? <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So you'd go on the location that you were at, right? 
So I'd say, oh, okay, this one here, like in the one that we did with, uh, I can't remember what it's called now, all the bulbs blow in the building one after the other, that kind of stuff. I mean, that was uh-huh. a good one. And then uh, the one at the uh, circus where all the lights go on and everything. Oh, that's uh, Epitaph for Tommy. Starts to go. Yeah, that's yeah. one of the yeah. best. Yeah, that is one of the best quickenings with Rowdy Roddy Piper. Yeah. That is one of that uh, is one of the series' best quickenings. Yeah, yeah, but that was a lot of fun, and that's because we were shooting at the location, you know. So we said, "Oh shit, okay." So I said, "What about if everything starts to go? Like the clowns start to laugh, everything starts turning, the lights." Start. I mean, it was really exciting to do that, you know. It was a lot of fun. I had one quickening I wanted to do, but I never did another show. And we never did it. Where he goes into a used car lot, where a car graveyard. And all the cars start, the lights go on, that kind of stuff, but I never got to do it. It's funny uh, that you mentioned that like the quickening is like the thing that kind of indicates the hallmark of what's going to be a good episode. Did you run into issues where you wanted to change a lot of the, some of the scripts you were given a lot? Because in looking at the episodes that you directed, you got like a real grab bag of some of kind of the most beloved episodes and, you know, some ones with no other immortals, no quickening that are just kind of strange ones. You know, you get a script and then uh, you have ideas, go to a meeting with I guess, with the producer and the writers. And I, then I say, okay, look, what if we did this instead? You know, so as a director, you do add to it. Or sometimes you, I'd say, well, you know what? This is a six-day show and not 30, so we can't shoot this scene. But you have to say it as a director. Like, I, I knew the show enough that I knew I couldn't do this in six days. I'm going, guys, I can't do it. I don't care how quick I am. <laughs> right. It's only, but then that you know, ends up suffering, right? Because you're not spending as much time with the actors, you know? Like, you never have to worry about your lead actors because they know their part. I mean, are you going to go in there and tell Adrian how to play his part? He's going to go, yeah, right, kid. <laughs> I mean, it just, it just doesn't work like that, right? You can give nuances, you know? You can say, how about if you uh, smirked here or... Uh, you grinned or something like that. But you don't tell the lead actors in a show how to act their part, really. The only people you deal with are the uh, people who are coming in like the extras and they're just doing small parts, you know? Those people, they're out on any show you do, they're the hardest to deal with in the sense that, you know, like any actor, they don't work that much, so they come on the show, they're so happy, they're going to get the shoot. They do a scene, I say, okay, good, let's go, move on. They're like, what, 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 what do you mean? <laughs> I, I can do another one, I can do another one. And I go, and I know the show so well. It's like, okay, want another one? All right, go ahead. <laughs> no, they do another one, and they did exactly the same. And I knew they would. So sometimes you have talks with people like that. I would explain to them that we have to move this quick. We'll give you a couple of takes or something, sometimes three, but we've got to move on. Because, you know, we're going to cut to the other actor that's not fucking up the scene anyway. <laughs> yeah. You know, they, there's ways of editing on a TV show. Let's go. For instance, I, this is a little bit out of context, but I was doing a TV show called The Adventures of Rin Tin Tin, right? Oh, it's no secret how and that dog solves crime. And we used to shoot really fast on that show, right? So the guest actors would come in, and I always say, don't worry, we're going to cut to the dog. Fucking trust me. (laughs) 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 And we we always did. We knew we'd cut to the dog, listening, whatever. (laughs) You blew your line too bad. Let's go. Let's move. Let's move. Just get a disappointed look from the dog. When I got to Highlander, I was using the same kind of thing. And I was like, guys, you know, we cannot do five, six, seven, eight takes for everybody. We just can't get our day that way. And, you know, and Adrian, he's really good. He never fucks up. Guy always has his lines right. He's a real pro, so you don't have to worry about him or the kid, you know, or anything like that. They're, they're real pros. So who is the most challenging guest star for you to work with? You got to work with an, an interesting spread of them on Highlander. Well, the most interesting is uh, 
What's that guy from Raising Arizona? Tex Cobb. Guy. Randall Tex Cobb. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. Only because he was drunk or something. I mean, he tell him something, and uh, he, you know, he wasn't. I don't know if he was listening. I don't know if he heard you. Uh, <laughs> he was, no, no, he, he no, he was a great guy, but uh, you never knew. You know, he got hurt on set. I mean, you know. Yeah, he got hit by a truck, right? (laughs) Yeah, he got hit by a truck. That was my episode. So what the fuck? What do you mean he got hit by a truck? (laughs) I said, is the truck all all right? (laughs) 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 You know, because he was such a strong guy, man. Unbelievable. But no, he was a sweetheart, but he only could. The thing that I remember is that he just couldn't listen. or I didn't know whether he heard what I said. But he would deliver. Jonathan Banks was interesting when I see him on Saul. You know, I love it. Yeah, he's a fantastic actor. He's a, he's a great guy. He was fun to work with. He's another real pro there. What was it like working with him on set? Did he have any fun quirks? No, he's a good guy. All I remember is that he had a sore back, and he did a lot of things he couldn't do because of a sore back. That's rough and on a show of so sword fighting. Say, so he would say, Clay, you know, do you mind if I, I have to do this a little different? And I go, okay, no problem. The thing I remember about that show the most, too, is like I doubled him in the gunfight, right? In the quick draw, I'm the one that's drawing the gun. Oh, oh wow. So if you watch the show, it's shot from behind. And I practiced for a couple of days, you know, just a quick draw. And I was wearing that outfit on set. I was directing wearing it. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, I had the gun in my hip and everything. So he had to leave, and we, we couldn't do the reverse shot of him drawing the gun. So I did it. I'm sure everyone on set listened to you with a, with a gun on your, <laughs> on, on your hip. Yeah. <laughs> there's, a, there's a new yeah, sheriff in town, literally. What, what was the experience okay. like working on Highlander? You've had a, a long career in the industry. Like, how, Was Highlander any different than other TV projects you worked on? Or what's the difference between working on a TV show as opposed to a movie? Uh, for our listeners? Well, the difference is the schedule. Like, for instance, like I said, we're doing uh, all these pages all the time, you know, other TV shows that I did. Like, I, I started out doing features, right? Then I got into TV by accident somehow or whatever. And then I went back to doing features for a while. So after I did Highlander, like I said, the next year we went back to Vancouver, but I was hired to do uh, these two TV shows. One with Corbin Brinson and, you know, you're given a script and all of a sudden I look at the schedule and it says two pages, three to four pages a day. I'm like, huh? What the fuck are we going to do in the afternoon? (laughs) 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 So so the thing is, uh, you know, it's like, uh, and also, I mean, I shot both those shows in 14 days, 14 to 15 days, right? Which in itself is pretty fast for a feature, right? Yeah. But the thing that I, I liked about the pacing for me was a lot less. I was able to use cranes and all kinds of stuff, you know? And I could, you know, rehearse the actors. I could work more with the actors. I could get better performances because I had the time. And uh, I never went over schedule ever, not once on both those movies. It's 15 days when you go from... When you go from six to all of a sudden, you know, 14, 15 days, believe me, it's a lot of time. A lot of directors wouldn't think that. Like I did, a, you know, the Gunfighters. I did a Western, you know, with George Kennedy. Uh-huh. And we shot that in 18 days. And that's a Western. So, again, it all comes down to, yes, I'd love to be able to do a $50 million film and, and shoot one page a day and rehearse the actors for a month and really do things well, you know. But I've, I've never been a given that luxury even in my first hollywood film quiet cool i think was shot in 38 days and that was non-stop action can you tell us a little bit more about that film and how you got started in the industry well it's a long story but basically uh, i grew up in an area in toronto called cabbage town which was the slums in toronto you say cabbage and, town uh, i was a, i was a street kid in the gang and everything and then i had this social worker that uh 
saw something in me, and, uh, you know, we, we started a free school together and everything, and he said, Clay, you should make a movie about your neighborhood. I'm like, a movie? You make a movie? What do you mean? He said, you know, you can make a film, so I'll get you some money for a film, and said, come up with an idea. I said, okay. I came up with this idea where a kid comes home from school, he walks by three tough guys, they don't like the way he looks at him, they chase him through the streets of Cabbagetown, they corner him, they beat the shit out of him, and they walk away as if nothing happened, and that's the movie. And he said, fuck, that's the way you see your life? I said, yeah. He said, okay, you got me the film on Super 8. I shot the movie. And then uh, with all with my friends in the gang that I was in, and I didn't know how to do a fight scene, so I had the guy beaten up for real on film. <laughs> this, is, this is true. Yeah, it was like they didn't kill him, but it was, you know, they really did kick him in the head and shit like that. Wow. <laughs> but but I didn't know how to do a fight scene. What was I supposed to do? <laughs> it's some it's, it's method yeah. acting. Yeah, uh, that's like, that's the raw stuff right yeah. there. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm still friends with the guy and everything. But anyway, <laughs> uh, they showed it, the, the Super 8 to somebody. And then they decided to redo it in the school board or something. They decided to do it in 16. So I reshot the film in 16 millimeter with a professional cameraman because the first one I did myself, you know, in your Super 8 camera and stuff. And so then, uh, you know, I was uh, 18 years old and the film played all across Canada on TV. And that started my career. Wow. That's how it happened. That's incredible. All my earlier films were about Cabbage Town. So. My first feature was Alligator Shoes, so I wrote it, directed it, produced it, and I starred in it with my brother. And that's the one that was in the director's Fortnite at Con. Then I went without working for a while, and nobody would hire me because I was known as fierce independent. I think people were afraid to work with me or something. It was really weird. Wow. So I said, fuck this. So with my wife and two kids, one was a baby, moved to Hollywood. I got a contract to write a script with the MGM. That didn't go anywhere. Then I wrote the script, Quiet Cool. Anyway, that was my first film. And then the guy was uh, that produced it, you know, produced Teachers and all this stuff and The Rose. And he was a big-time producer. And he had read one of my scripts, which I never got done to this day, called Rush of the Passing Train. He loved it. And then uh, I remember I was sitting in his office. He said, "He said to me, he said, Clay, you see this script? He said, your script is a great script. You see this script here? He points to teachers. It's nothing compared to yours, but we're going to make this one. You know why? It's the kind of film people want to see. Your film is too dark. It's too streets. Wow. I don't know how much time you have, but I could tell you very quickly the story of how we came up with the name Quiet Cool. Sure, I mean, of course. We, we've got as much time as you've got. Yeah. So, uh, I, mean, uh, okay. I personally uh, can't wait to hear uh, more about Cabbage Town and all <laughs> the, the stuff going on there. That sounds incredible. Oh, uh, okay. Anyway, uh, I was working in Hollywood. I was a handyman with a carpenter. And, uh, you know, just to make some money, to put food on the table and that kind of stuff. And we were digging holes in Hollywood, and it was about 100 and three Fahrenheit out or something was fucking hot as hell. And I'm sitting there digging this hole, and I happened to look up, and there's a guy with a DOP, I think, and he was sitting there having a cold beer, you know, just drinking it down. And I'm watching him going, oh, fuck, man, I'd give anything to be in there right now. So as I'm, as, as I'm looking at him, I see the back of the air conditioner. The name of the company was Quiet Cool with a K. So I started thinking about that as I'm digging the hole. I thought, Quiet Cool, Quiet Cool, Quiet Cool. What if I change it to a C? Quiet Cool. What does Quiet Cool mean? Two years later, Quiet Cool opened in 1800 theaters across the United States from me seeing a fucking air conditioner. <laughs> <laughs> you never know where these ideas that's, are going to come that's from. Not, 
into my Hollywood to make my first Hollywood movie. That's how it happens. Before that, my films were all about Cabbage Town. You know, they couldn't believe that I could do an action film, but I wrote the action. You know, I wrote the action. I was I love action movies. Always have. What are some of your influences? Favorite action movies and stuff. First of all, I'm, I'm a Western freak, so I like the good, the bad, and the ugly, and uh, you know, for a few dollars more and that kind of stuff. I love those films. They really influenced me. Action films, you know, are like 48 Hours, where I fell in love with James B. Remar. That's why I cast him in Quiet Cool, because I thought he was the best bad guy I'd ever seen in my life when I saw 48 Hours. But, you know, th those kind of films, you know, and The Getaway, Steve McQueen, or Die Hard, right? I mean, those kind of movies. I love big action movies like that. I've never got to make one because I've never had enough success, I guess, with the films that I did to be able to do those big movies. You know, because I was always going to make movies about Cabbage Town. You know, that's what I... I wanted to do. I didn't know I was going to end up doing Hollywood films, really. That just sort of happened because I had to make a living. Can, can you paint a, a picture for us of Cabbage Town? I'm, like, intrigued by what this neighborhood was like, especially because it has influenced you so much. Well, like I said, that's where I grew up. At the time, like right now, it's upscale as hell, right? That the, you know, the renovators moved in and changed the whole neighborhood, right? I mean... Is it more like Brussels Sprout Town now? Sorry, bad joke. That was terrible. <laughs> that was a terrible joke. Oh, you mean, uh, no, the reason... No, the reason it's called Cabbage Town is because when there was a the famine, you know, from Ireland, they all came down to, uh, to Canada. They used to grow their own cabbages in their backyard, and that's how they got called Cabbage Town. The, the name just stuck. I mean, it's called that now, right. you know? Anyway, that's where I grew up in the streets. And, uh, you know, I mean, I, my parents, my mother ran a room house in Cabbage Town. As a matter of fact, I made a film called Rosa's House, and my mother starred in it, and she was nominated for Canadian Oscar for Best Actress. Wow. Never wow. acted life. Wait, that's incredible. So, wait, you directed a movie, and your mom was nominated for Best Actress? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, in Boston Film Festival, Martin Scorsese's film about his mother and her Italian spaghetti uh, recipe or something. Do you remember that film he did? Yeah. Okay, well, they had my film playing with his. They had us there as a double, right? Oh, wow. I made a, I made a movie about my, uh, my mother, and he made one about his mother. <laughs> so we were in the same festival together. Anyway, that's, that's, that's still that was pretty my rad. connection to Scorsese. Yeah, yeah, yeah it was pretty cool, you know, so... I wanted to be the Martin Scorsese of Canada, you know? Didn't work out that way when I wanted to get Russia to pass and train up the ground. It would, be, it would have made my life totally different if I would have made that film. Because I would have, I would have kept doing my cabbage down uh, about my life there and my friends and everything, guys I grew up with. A lot of my friends ended up in jail, shot, that kind of stuff. You said you were in a gang yeah. in Cabbage Town, right? Yeah, I was in a gang called the Cross Gang. How did you? How did you get? Yeah, you know, into we that? just went out and stole and shit like that, right? I mean, I broke into people's houses and all that stuff. I'm lucky I never got caught. Yeah, holy shit! <laughs> yeah, well, I made. I, if I wouldn't have made my first film, you know, I think I would. That's where I was heading. All of a sudden, I became a filmmaker. So I went from being a street kid, being a filmmaker, which is really strange, you know. Yeah, that's a hell of a and, transformation. Yeah, you know, so then my film, my second film was called Paperboy, and it was based on me, this is a short film again, 16 minutes. It was based on me being a paperboy in Cabbage Town, and I had my kid brother star, and my kid brother played me, because I made the film only like six years after I'd been a paperboy, right? <laughs> so, <laughs> so my kid brother, I tell him, okay, you're going to be in my movie. Well, I don't want to be in a movie. <laughs> <laughs> 
you got no choice, you know, he's beautiful and he's really good in the film. You can check it out on YouTube, you know, under oh, awesome. my name. Favorable is on there. Then I did Alligator Shoes, which was a feature, and then I was nominated for original screenplay for that. They went to con. I thought, okay, finally my career is on the way. But I went five years without making a movie after Alligator Shoes. Nobody would hire me, not even the CBC for their, their TV shows, nothing. Nobody would hire me. That, that's why I left. And then they went to my script, and I thought, you know what? The fuck am I doing here? At least in the States, they love people. that They give people a chance down there. So, yeah, uh, what's, what's the difference between making entertainment in Canada versus the United States? Well, it's not that we, we can do stuff here just as good. It's just we never have the budget, mm. you know? Just that in the States, I mean, it's like, I mean, I can't talk for other people. I mean, it's... It's just that, you know, when you do a Canadian TV show, you know, you get a third of the money that an American TV show gets, for instance. We compete a lot against that kind of stuff. But anyway, like I said, I moved to the States because I couldn't get work over here. So I went there. I got quiet, cool, made, and then uh, started my career. And then and the funny thing is I ended up working in Canada only, practically, which is a weird thing. I had to go to the States, start my career, come back to Canada to work. Because, you know, I lived in L.A. for five years, right? My wife and I broke up, so I moved back here to Toronto, and then I met somebody here, and then, you know, I ended up staying here. I didn't think I was going to stay in Toronto, but all of a sudden I got into TV, and then, you know, then I meet Ken Gord. You know, you want to go to fucking Israel to do sweating bullets? I'm like, Israel? Holy fuck. So, you know, for a Cabbage Town kid to be all of a sudden in Israel, trust me, fucking blew my mind. I couldn't believe it. And again, uh, you know, the, the thing that Ken, uh, sweating bullets, was... Fuck, man, you have to move fast in that show. Shooting so many pages a day is unreal. But anyway, I got off track there. Shooting in Canada is, is, is it's just different. I mean, a lot of American films are shot here in Toronto, don't forget, right? Right. The, you know, the crews are really good here and everything. It's, it's all about money and budgets. Any stories saved up from your time in Cabbage Town that you still wanted to tell and didn't quite have the chance? If you've got stories, we want to hear them. Because... <laughs> the one time in my life I wish I would have been American was after I finished uh, Alligator Shoes. Because if I would have been from the States and I did Alligator Shoes, it would be like Scorsese doing Mean Streets, you know? Everybody went, fuck, man, this guy's got talent. Well, when I did Alligator Shoes, you know, everybody went, hey, wow, this guy's got talent. But nobody came forward and gave me money. As a matter of fact, I met a big producer, I won't mention the name, at a party in Toronto. Because my film, out of English Canada, was the only film I was chosen that year in 81. And this guy comes to me and he said, you and your stupid fucking movie, you put Canada back 10 years with your fucking low-budget shit fucking movie. Whoa! <laughs> yeah. That's and, messed uh, up. When, That's bonkers. No, he, I said, the fuck are you talking about? The guy from France that picked my film, he said, this is the most interesting film I've, I've seen out of English Canada in years. Because everybody's imitating Hollywood, right? So they got all these movies they make and they want to go to Cannes. So when I got picked, man, I didn't realize how pissed off people were going to be. So I got... That's why I think I wasn't getting work, because everybody, you know, because I wanted to make these independent films about street life and, uh, you know, and I started to see, like, you know, doing films about people, like, in Little Italy. Well, I was doing films in Cabbage Town, about Cabbage Town people, because I was French-Canadian growing up there was, uh, it was pretty hard. You know, there was a whole French neighborhood, and I, I went to a French school. As a matter of fact, just off the cuff here, when I first came to Toronto, I didn't speak any English, right? Totally French. So I had to learn how to speak English, and I got into a lot of fights in the streets and that kind of shit because of my accent. Wow. Because I used to say, I think so and thank you. And I thought myself how to say, I think, thank. And now, when I got older, I, I'm angry at myself that I had to lose my accent. 
you know? It's so fucking ridiculous. But otherwise, I'd be in fights every day of the week. Wow. <laughs> when you live with that kind of stuff, I've had guys chase me in my house and my mother take a knife out fucking threaten to kill them. Oh my God! Um, she was really tough. That's, that, <laughs> so that's why I made that film, Rose's House. And my mother couldn't read or write, and so we made the we made most of the scenes up as we went along. And then kills me. We got nominated for best screenplay <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> or an improv uh, movie. And uh, you know, we had an outline for a script, but there was no written dialogue. I say, okay, Mom, talk about this. And then in the scene, she'd talk about it, right? I mean, that's how I did it. Anyway, those are the kind of films that I wanted to keep making. And Alligator Shoes was my next step. It was my first feature. And uh, it was based on my experiences with my brother and everything. And so I thought my next one was going to be about Cabbage Town. They were all going to be about Cabbage Town. But I got sidetracked. I said uh, I had to move to Hollywood to, to restart my career. So even with the kind of film festival, uh, you know, it got me an agent. As a matter of fact, here's another, another story you might like. You know Norman Jewison, right? I don't think so. I don't so. think so. No. I don't think you so. You don't know Norman Jewison? Uh-oh. We have homework to do. Yeah, drop some knowledge so, on us. You know, uh, in the heat of the night. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, Norman Jewison. Anyway, <laughs> I'm sitting in his office in Toronto one day. We are talking about agent. He said, you don't have an agent? I said, no. He said, well, fuck this. He got on the phone, and he called up William Morris in New York. He says, hey, listen, i got this young kid here, this young guy. He just came back from the council and thought, well, you need an agent. You guys want to take him on? And he's got a script he's trying to fuck to take. I mean, Norma Juice is calling up. And they go, yeah. So I went to New York, met this guy. So I got taken on by a William Morris agency. Wow. Uh, yeah, I never had an agent before that, ever. I didn't know an agent did. And uh, so, so when I went to L.A., at least I had an agent. Did they help and you they land any... Get- any of the, the gigs that you've described for us? Did they come through that agency? or? Well, they, they helped me get quite cool off the ground because they found the producer, you know, which was New Line Cinema, right? That was their first film outside you know, the horror genre. You know, it was our first action film. Huh, I didn't know that. That's interesting. Yeah, yeah. So I had to go a whole, through a whole thing at Chateau Maman Hotel there, uh, trying to decide whether they're going to hire me as a director or not. So I sweated bullets for a few hours there while they all went in the room and uh, came out and they said, okay, kid, you got it. Probably the happiest day of my fucking life, I'll tell you. <laughs> you were sweating bullets. Is that, was that inspiration you... for when you did the show, yeah, sweating yeah. bullets? <laughs> <laughs> anyway, that's, that's what happened. I got away from doing the kind of films that I wanted to make. Started doing Hollywood stuff, and then I got into fucking TV, and I never meant to go that way. But all of a sudden, you know, you got a mortgage to pay, you got kids to feed, you got it. You know, your life changes. You know, you can't just be this artist living on Canada Council grants. You know. The Highlander Rewatch podcast needs your help. Help your favorite Highlander podcast bring you all the up-to-date coverage, interviews, panels, exclusive videos, and more from the official Highlander 25th Anniversary Gathering Convention this October 20th through 22nd in Los Angeles. We promise to bring you the best in Highlander content and we'll give you an inside intimate look at the amazing world of Highlander in the way only Highlander Rewatch knows how. Highlander Rewatched is a labor of love and does require a huge time and financial commitment from us, the hosts. Every dollar helps us bring you bigger, better, and more exciting free content every week. Please donate today and be part of the movement that is Highlander Rewatched. Every donation also gets you an exclusive shout out on our show too. If you would like to donate to our GoFundMe, head on over to www.gofundme.com backslash Highlander-Rewatched 
gathering or just find the link on our Facebook page. Once again, if you would like to donate to our GoFundMe, head on over to www.gofundme.com backslash Highlander dash rewatched dash gathering or find the link on our Facebook page. Our sincerest thanks for supporting us and being on this journey together with us. Back to the show. Can you tell us about maybe some of your more recent projects? Like, I know you did an independent film called X Wins recently. That was a very low budget because I, I wrote the script. I, I wanted to do something where I could shoot it real fast. and see, You can't shoot any faster than in the woods, you know, because everything <laughs> looks the same. It's a chase movie. And I made the girl a death mute, so there's no talking. <laughs> <laughs> I can see how that moves it along. <laughs> we shot it in seven days. <laughs> Not and, bad. Um, you know, we had two or three cameras, and you know, it doesn't look too bad. It's like a it's like a, a C movie, you know, <laughs> really low, really low budget. I did it that way on purpose because I knew it was the only way I could do it. And then I did a short film. I went back to doing a short. I did a short film about a young blind woman who, by chance, becomes a world famous photographer. You got that? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. How, does, how does that happen? <laughs> Turned out really good. It's like six and a half minutes long. It's, it's a really good little film. I'm really proud of it. Uh, otherwise, I haven't really done anything. Uh, done, I'm not really pursuing anything anymore. Uh, you know what I mean? I'm, I'm out of the game at this point. Right. So, so what do you do when uh, you're not working on one of these projects you've told us about? What do you, uh, what do you, how do you keep busy these days? Well, I'm trying to work on scripts all the time. But, you know, I basically go to the gym, uh, that kind of stuff. I mean, uh, go to the cottage a lot or whatever. If you, yeah. <laughs> we have this problem when we're just talking about an episode. Yeah. <laughs> like someone will mention a, a kind of snack food and we'll spend 20 minutes on that. So, you oh. know, we need, we need like a, a dog to cut to when we're wrapping some bullshit. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like, oh, okay. Uh, I was going to ask. All right. Well. Um, yeah, there's lots of Highlander stories. I just have to be reminded. So let's go back to Highlander. Just yeah. Well, I was going to ask if there was the opportunity to tell a Highlander story, like a Clay Boris Highlander story. What would the story that you'd want to tell be? Well, the one about going to France and all that is kind of the story that you know I never forgot. But uh, when you know you guys are talking to Ken Gore and other people and all that stuff about directors on the show, and uh, besides Ken, I don't think anybody really appreciated the fact that I was doing those shows so fast. You know, I was given those shows. I didn't have a choice, right? This is your episode. I mean, what are you going to say? No, I don't want it. Right. I mean, it doesn't work like that, right? I remember, I think I heard David Abramowitz, is that his name? Yeah. Yeah, yeah he said something about one of the, the worst episodes, and I think he mentioned The Zone. Yeah, that's, oh, a, that's a notorious right? uh, episode, I think, with some people. Yeah, it is, but you should have read the fucking script. <laughs> <laughs> the, script was, the script was even worse. <laughs> I, I have no and, trouble and believing I that. I couldn't, I couldn't believe they were doing that script. I couldn't believe it. I'm like, are you kidding me? And Ken says, I'm sorry, play with, you know, you got to do this one. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, man. And uh, did they pick you, know, you because you of your short said, Can film? you at least put a quickening in it? Fuck sakes. I mean, you know, it takes place in this weird fucking place. And, you know, so when I hear somebody say it's one of the worst episodes, you know, it's like, you know, it's, it's just not fair to me. It, it, it just really bugs me that I heard that, you know. Wow. Um, but, but what about the episodes that, People loved that I did a really good job on, you know. You, you never knew from these guys. I think I heard from Abramowitz. I think I heard from him once that he liked something or whatever. You know, when Ken went to do uh, Queen of Swords, well, David Abramowitz was part of that somehow, right? I yeah, think he was yeah I think he writers. was one of the producers or one of the creative people. Yeah. On it. yeah. Well, okay, well, Ken had my name down 
as one of the directors, right? And Abramowitz came in and crossed my name out. Oh, my. And I did not like, know that. And I said, and that's what I said. I said, what the, what, what, why? What do you mean? I sacrificed all those fucking six-day shows working like a fucking dog. What do you mean? I, my name is obvious. I don't know why. I was fucking taken off the list. I couldn't believe it. Oof. And, you know, and I'm a Western freak, too. And Ken knows that, and that's why I had the episode with the background with the Western and everything. You know, I'm, I'm taken off the list, and I'm going, okay, I guess they appreciated me on the show, huh? Because you'd think they're doing a new TV show. Hey, let's bring in Clay Boris. That, that kid did us a lot of favors, man. He did all those shitty shows that nobody else could do. But no, I was so angry when Ken told me that, I couldn't believe it. Well, well I know Ken had nothing but good things to say about your work on the show. Uh, no, no, no. Ken's got nothing against me. Oh, no, all. I know. Yeah, oh, yeah. No, that, Even but, when he talked to us, he brought it up. Yeah. I was taken off the list. That's all. I mean, why was I taken off the list? That should have been payback. We know Clay loves Westerns. Let's give him a, a nice gift here. Let's let him do a couple of episodes, you know, whatever. But to be taken off the list, Oof. that's what I mean. So you, you end up thinking, well, you know, the producers didn't really appreciate me at all, did they? I'm sounding bitter. I don't want to start. I don't want to sound bitter. <laughs> oh, but anyway. Oh, I'm just curious. Like an episode like The Zone, since we were just talking about that, what, what were some uh, things that you brought to that script to try to breathe some life into it? The changes I made are probably, uh, I probably cut stuff to make it shorter. I, I try to move the camera as much as I can. One of the things I remember that we did, the, uh, the guy who plays the main guy, the guy that the actor that played the part. Uh-huh. He was like, he was playing him too slow, like he was trying to do a De Niro or something, and I kept telling him, I said, look, you can't play it like this. This is a TV show. You got to talk fucking faster. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck, man. You're not James Stewart. You can't fucking sit there and go, nah, nah, nah. <laughs> nobody wants to hear that shit from you. <laughs> and so, and then I talked to Ken. I said, this guy just won't fucking listen, man. And I got really pissed off at this actor. Anyway, you know what we did? Ken said, I'll fix that fucking guy. We hired another actor to do his voice and talk five times faster. <laughs> That's so, amazing. So in the episode of The Zone, it's not the original actor's voice. That's incredible. Yeah. <laughs> no, isn't that amazing? We redubbed his whole fucking episode. <laughs> Fuck him. You don't want to do it our way? Fuck you. Then it's the highway. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? So, uh, so that was one thing that happened, I remember. Ken says, don't worry, we'll fix it in post. <laughs> <laughs> you can hear that all the time. We'll fix it in post. Do you have right. any other stories like that of uh, kind of these creative fixes on, on the set? Or these just kind of like wild shooting stories? It sounds like you've got a, a lot stored up. I can tell you a story that's kind of interesting. Um, I was doing the gunfighters. And uh, I was sitting on a horse, and I was directing George Kennedy. I'm standing there and looking at him. In those days, you know, your phone was that big fucking thing there, the, the big phone. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, with like the antenna or something on yeah. it. Yeah. So my AD, my AD all of a sudden, or my, my assistant all the time, he says, Clay, because your wife wants to talk to you on the phone. I said, right now? He goes, yeah, she says it's important. So I pick up the phone, and I'm sitting on a horse, right? And she's in L.A. She, the first thing she says to me, she says, First of all, get off your high horse. <laughs> I'm, I'm like, what the fuck? I look around. Is she here? <laughs> she said, just so you know, I'm leaving you. Oh. And I, and I said, what? Oh. I'm looking. I'm looking toward George. Little tear comes out of my eye. George looks like, what's the matter, little fella? <laughs> what? <laughs> oh, <my God. laughs> Holy shit. And I said, uh, nothing, George. <clears throat> 
It's like go back to the phone. Say, what the fuck are you talking about? Can you imagine you're having this conversation. George Kennedy's sitting right in front of me on a horse. She's telling me to get off my high horse. <laughs> and I'm sitting on a high horse. So anyway, I never oh forgot that. Yowza. Yeah. That's one thing I've never forgotten. Wow. Yeah, that's <laughs> a lot. <laughs> and the other thing is with George Kennedy is he came in and uh, he came in the wardrobe. We're putting his wardrobe together. And he's holding up these pair of boots. And he says, uh, Clay, listen, uh, you always call me Mr. Boris, actually. Mr. Boris, he says, do you mind if I wear these boots instead? And so I look at them. They look like old boots, you know. And as you know, because I wore these in John Ford's film. I wore these with John Wayne. I wore these. I said, are you fucking kidding me? I said, of course you can put them on. He put the <laughs> boots on. And, that, and get this, I kissed both his feet on the boots. <laughs> 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 so every time I see the film and I see George sitting on that horse, and I look at those shoes, I think I kissed those. <laughs> so that kind of stuff, you can have fun on, on set, you know? Do you have a kind favorite you remember. Uh, Western? Was it The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly? Or Yeah, it would have to be The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly, and then Once Upon a Time in the West. Yeah, I think that's... You know, that's there's there's a lot of Westerns favorite. that I love, right? Yeah. I mean, you know, The Gunfighter with Gregory Peck and that kind of stuff. But uh, did you ever see Quiet Cool? No, I haven't seen it. We're going to have to make sure we all watch it now. Anyway, it's like a modern-day Western. That's why I got hired to do the gunfighters, because the last half hour of the of the movie is pure Western. I shot it like a Western. It looks like a Western. And I made it like a Western. You know, there's motorcycles instead of horses. And a lot of the reviews of the films actually said that. Because obviously, Boris is trying to make a Western. So, uh, yeah, I love Westerns. And so, you ever see uh, Forever Night? We oh, yeah, to ask about that, because that has some other Highlander alums involved yeah, as well. Yeah. So I did I did a bunch of Forever Night, right? And they used to have flashbacks, the same thing to the past in that show. So I did a couple of Western flashbacks in that. And so Ken knew that I loved Western because when we did Sweating Bullets, we did an episode that was a Western with uh, Clint Walker playing an aging cowboy that somebody's trying to kill on the film set. And that was like a Western. You know, just that quick thing, my father was a real Western freak too, you know? You know, he's like, uh, he's like six foot four, something like that, six foot five, you know, and I'm only like five foot six. And uh, so I said to uh, the Clint, I said, well, you want to pull it? I want to pull a joke on my father. I said, I stood on an apple box next to him and I made myself just a little taller than him, right? <laughs> so the camera starts on me and him talking and he's saying, hello, Mr. Boris, how are you? I understand you're a Cheyenne fan. Thank you. And they, as he, we're talking, the camera pulls back, 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 and when I'm watching it with my father, he's going, Tabalnak in French. Tabalnak is, I thought that guy was a lot taller than that. He's <laughs> taller than him. I said, I know it, Dad. He looks tall on film. It's really weird, huh? <laughs> <laughs> As we're talking, the camera pulls back and he sees I'm standing on a box. Son of a bitch. <laughs> and so then my father, like, he, got, he was so happy to see that he wasn't as short like I was. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, those kind of memories I, I just love, you know? That's amazing. So yeah, one, one question yeah. we ask everyone that's on our show is, okay. would you want to be immortal? And if you were, what would you want to do? Yeah, I think I want to be. I want to be, I, I'd like to have been, uh, you know, Pat Garrett, something like that. Bob Bill, Wild Bill Hickok, one of those guys. Right. Yeah. <laughs> no, no, I, that's like, you know, because I love Westerns, I think in the Western days I would have been a gunfighter. Ooh, that would be and, good because it'd be uh, hard for a gunfighter to take off your head. That would be, uh, <laughs> you'd be in good shape. <laughs> anyway, when we did Highlander, you know, the guy who starred in uh, Forever Night, 
he was in, I think, my second episode that I did there. That's right, Turnabout. But I was kind of... That was kind of neat for me to be working with both those guys. Did you end up having a different relationship with him when you went on to work with him on Forever Night? Or did you guys already have a good rapport when you started on Turnabout? No, we had a great rapport on Forever Night. We were, you know, we worked really well together. When he came on to uh, Highlander, you know, it was like, you know, he wasn't the guy in charge anymore, but he's still a great guy. I mean, really, he's a beautiful human being, so... Got along with him real well. And uh, it was we love that episode. We that is some of our favorite Highlander moments from that season. Oh, for sure. When he reveals yeah, yeah, himself well, to have multiple personalities, he uh, right. He he well, really like leans great, in. Well, the, the thing that was great about him is that he was a trained theater actor, right? And he really knew how to use a fucking sword. Awesome. So when we did that fight scene, man, those guys were so fucking good together. <laughs> Remember that fight scene? How great it was! It yeah. was great. Yeah. yeah. It also has oh, one of our favorite moments with a barrel scene. throw. It was amazing just to see them work out together. I used to love getting involved with the sword fights and try different things and all that, right? Anyway, that, yeah, that's one of my favorite episodes, too. Which one do you like the best? Are you... Oh, of your episodes? Yeah. Uh, let me think. Ooh. Which one's our favorite of yours? Ooh, that, uh, th- this might actually result in a debate, because there's a few real highlights here. We love Line of Fire, because we think that's got a lot of, like... Character that's, and that's the one with um, Tex Cobb, Randall Tex Cobb. Um, we love yeah, Turnabout, right. uh, and actually, I remember when we when we watched that episode, I for one mentioned how much I liked the way it was filmed. Like your your filming style in that episode was like very fluid, uh, and it served really well. Like the the camera kind of floats around some of the scenes. It's it's really nice. Right. Yeah. Right. Well, I was dutching the camera. Right. We call you know dutching the camera. You know. Yes. Given, right. given the Dutch angles. Yeah. yeah. Well, I, I started doing that on uh, Forever Night. I told Kenneth, I'm going to do this thing where I dutch the camera. He goes, go for it. And because uh, I thought it fitted the scene when he's walking uh, walking around and stuff. You yeah. Know? You got you to be careful with using that kind of shot because it, if it's used out of context, it, it takes you out of the picture, you know? Mm-hmm. Right. And so it, so it has to be used in the right way. So I learned how to use it on Forever Night pretty well. Uh, in that scene in Turnabout, when you use that, Duncan's actually walking around a mental asylum. So it, it really gives this great uneasiness to the, the scene, which is really nice. Right, right, exactly. No, I'm glad you noticed that. Yeah, we try to talk yeah. about the, the shots. It's also striking me how many uh, how many different shooting techniques have nationalities been into, built into them. We talked about the French reverse earlier. Now we're talking about Dutch angles. Right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> do, do we have any other... Yeah. Like ethnic shots out there. Shots. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I can't give away all the secrets. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, I'm surprised that you heard about the French reverse for the first time. Yeah, but, uh, that's a new one to us. We're always learning we're on trouble, this show. Whenever we're in trouble, we say, okay, it's time to do a French reverse. <laughs> <laughs> so if there was a picture of uh, whoever you're shooting, if there was a picture behind the wall, there was a picture on the wall. We take the picture out. So we <laughs> cut to the other guy. There was no picture, right? So right. There's so many ways to cheat like that. We did it all the time. It's the only way you get your fucking day. Get the fuck out of there. <laughs> Let's go shoot. <laughs> so anyway, uh, well, I'm glad to talk to you guys. Thanks for calling me. Yeah, thank uh, you so thank much. Thank you, Clay. We uh, really appreciate it. Yeah. yeah, and we've added a bunch of movies to our must-watch list, which I'm excited to see uh, Quiet Cool. So this will be fun. Thank you yeah, again, Clay. I think you'll like it. You know, it's a good little action film. And you'll see my style on there for sure. And, and you'll see what I mean when it looks like a Western. Trust me. Great. Well, thank you again, Clay, for uh, talking to us. Uh, we hope the fans have enjoyed this as much as we have. And uh, thank you for all you've uh, contributed to the world of Highlander and uh, TV and film. Thank you, Clay. Okay. Well, thank you very much, guys. All right. Thank you. you. Later. Bye. Take care. Right, bye. Bye.
Hey, Rewatchers, we hope you enjoyed our interview with Clay Barris, director of Highlander. It was certainly a blast to talk to him, and Clay's stories about growing up in Cabbage Town and making his first independent films were truly awesome. Once again, stay tuned next week because we are going to be releasing a never-before-seen, again, that's never-before-seen, insider look at a day in the life on a Highlander set. This is an exclusive Highlander Rewatch video, and we can't wait to share it with all the fans out there. It's really a special look at the inside world of Highlander. Thanks again for listening. We'll see you next week. Bye. Clay, before we wrap up, this show gets kind of edited. Uh, we'll put it together in post. So all this, obviously, that I'm saying right now is going to get cut. Um, but It's going to be replaced by a still of a dog. Yeah. <laughs> um.